but it is I. Amen. And I thank God this morning that uh, he has purposed us to assemble together as his body, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus committed to the ministry of our Savior. Amen. And with that thought in mind, uh, that, that's what we'll be focusing on today. Uh, I want to give uh, greetings to Pastor Christy in her absence. I appreciate the fact that she is uh, submitting to Sabbath activity. You know, that's one of the most violated commandments that there is. This, this workaholic Western culture has just beat us into submission and into believing that that's how things are supposed to be. But without periodic refreshment and respite, we burn out. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but my, my steps are getting shorter and I'm out of breath quicker. And there's just a whole lot of stuff going on in my life that reminds me that I wasn't built for endurance as much as I was for preservation. And that's what Sabbath is all about, preserving ourselves. Amen. So we applaud her in her absence. It's always a pleasure to preach with uh, Christy because she does such a thorough job in uh, going through the scriptures. I don't know if you appreciate how, how blessed you are, but you could have somebody that just threw together a sermon and, and come and share it with you and call that good, but she is committed to our spiritual growth and development, and she doesn't hold back in any regard. You know, it's a pleasure. I can't just sit up under any kind of preaching myself. And so it's a pleasure to come here and hear somebody else deal with the text and uh, encourage me to utilize it in my day-to-day -day existence. Uh, this morning, the sermon is simply called Welcome to the Fe Fellowship. And we will have two scriptures in mind, Acts 21, 10 through 14, which is part of the Acts series. And then we're going to jump over and take a sidebar over in Philippians 3, uh, verses 7 through 11, where we'll spend the majority of our time. Amen. So turn with me in your biblical text, whatever translation you're utilizing, because as always, I want you to read it for yourself. In other words, don't take my word for anything takes God, take God's word for everything. Boy, that was fresh from heaven. I think I want to say that one more time. Don't, don't take my word for anything. In other words, prove whatever it is that I'm saying to you. Amen? If I tell you they're having a monumental sale at the mall, don't just get all your money and savings together and run out there because I may be mistaken, all right? But in God's word... Apply it to everything. This is the essential truth that we've been given. So Acts first, 21 through 10 through 14. And it reads as follows. After we had been there a few days, this is Luke writing, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to see us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand them over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. 
And then Paul answered, why are you breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when we discovered that he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. It's not easy to share news of our assignments with the people that we know and love and who know and love us. I know oftentimes Sister Evans and I have conversations about what the Lord is calling me to do. And I, I know I have her uh, unreserved support for these things, but occasionally I present a proposition to her and she'll go, are you sure? And, and I take that as uh, concern on her part because the Lord doesn't always give her the same picture that he gives me. He, he uses our relationship to prove one another. When, when she says a thing to me, I'll often ask her, are you sure? And, and, and in that process, we are coming to agreement about what the Lord has not just purposed for me to do, but for her to be a part of in that whole proposition. Amen? And the same thing goes on within the fellowship of God, the body of Christ, that a lot of times we'll share with our colleagues, we'll share with our friends, we'll share with our family what thus saith the Lord. And out of a spirit of concern, they'll simply say, are you sure? Have you prayed on it? Have you run it by some other personalities? Have you proven the assignment that you believe that you've been given? And, and it's with that in mind that the people that observe the activity of Agabus, who comes over and gives Paul a preview of what's up ahead for him. Now, he's already experienced it, as Christy probably has already shared with you, in his three missionary journeys. Go, going on an errand for God is not just a hop, skip, and a jump to kumbaya. It usually is fraught with peril. It, it usually is born out of challenge. And, and we're going to uh, unpack that a little later. But, but into this scenario, to keep the narrative moving, we, we want to understand, first of all, that Paul is being misunderstood in his efforts for kingdom. For, first of all, he shares it with his friends, like I just showed you. And, 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 and they're, they're really just asking him, are you sure? That, that doesn't sound like something people just would be beating down the door to sign up for. And often ministry isn't that. It, it, it is going into some unfamiliar and uncomfortable places. It is dealing with inconvenience. It is dealing with uh, uncertainty about how we'll be received and how people will respond to the message that we have to give them. And so he's misunderstood when he shares his assignment with his friends. Compounding the resistance, he, he shares uh, with the church the message that he's been given. And you know from the record that the Jews aren't willing to share what they have. God is their God. Jesus is for some Jews, Jesus is their savior. 
And, and so, again, they, they, they want to keep it to themselves when everything about the gospel compels that we share it with everybody that we encounter. And I just want to tickle your brain right now and, and call to your remembrance, when's the last time you brought up Jesus in a conversation? We, we, we talk about a lot of things every day, amen? The score of the game. We, we talk about the state of the nation. We talk about the politics and the effect that it has on our nation. But, but when is the last time as believers in God we interjected that we have an assignment that's higher than government, that we have a message that transcends all the warm and fuzzies and the TikTok and the Facebook. And somewhere somebody has to take on the responsibility to say a word for kingdom. Oh, I know it's early in the morning, but shake that funk off because you got to leave here with a word for Jesus. Amen. You got to get on fire for God right now, because if you don't get on fire in here, you won't bust a match outside the church. We've got to willingly embrace the assignment that we've been given, understanding that it comes with resistance. Uh, I, I've had some people to turn the other way when they see me coming. Here he comes. Much like some of you say when you discover I'm the preacher. Here he goes. And, and he's going he's gonna to beat us up about holiness. Well, that's because I love you. Not, not that I want to inconvenience you or jack you up. or I, I want you to get the full benefit of being a child of God. But the only way to get to the blessing is to get on the other side of the burden that you've been given. Boy, I know that's fresh from heaven because that alliteration just worked. But, but, but we've got to stop trying to get to the blessing bereft of the burden. Woo, that, I got a little bounce in there. Look, 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 look. You've got to understand that to get to it, you got to go through it. Somebody should have wrote that down. But that's the nature of what we have been called to do. We've got great news, but not everybody wants to hear it. You bring up Jesus and people get to stuttering. Because they're convicted. And that's what the word of God will do the minute you share it. When you, when you talk about what God had brought you out of, you're talking sometimes to somebody that's in the middle of that same thing. And you can't leave them hanging in the burden. You got to bring them to the blessing. But understand that this is all part of what's going on. Paul understood this perfectly. Paul says, uh, I got to get on the road, okay? I've been hanging out here in the Ephes uh, Ephesus for a long time. But, 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 but now the assignment takes me to Jerusalem. And the people that are in his company understand that, man, are you sure? Because Jerusalem, the, 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 the capital city, the, the, the nation, uh, the city of God, it, 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 it's, it's under attack right now. And it's not going to go well for you, Paul. Matter of fact, as he proposes to leave the Ephesian elders, in his mind, he may not ever get to see them again. And, and, and what Agabus does is gives him a preview of the coming resistance. 
Uh, yeah, Paul, when you're on your way to Jerusalem, uh, I appreciate the fact you're a Roman citizen, but that's not going to help. I appreciate the fact that you were a big shot in the Sanhedrin and among the uh, ruling body of the nation of Israel. That's not going to help you. As a matter of fact, taking on the mantle of Christ is going to make you, cause you to be jacked up. And we just appreciate you knowing what you're up against before you make this decision. So as Paul is leaving, he, he cautions those that he is leaving that, yep, I understand what the Lord is calling me to do. I, I thank you all for your kind prayers and encouragement to do something other. But the sad fact of the matter is my heart is already committed to doing the work that I've been given. And he says, matter of fact, why are you so worried about me? You need to understand that when I leave, there are going to be people come in to try to tear the church up. Here's what he says. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. City Life this morning down on Division Avenue, that when we are not on our game, Savage wolves will come in amongst us and will not spare the flock. As beautiful as it is to come together as the body of Christ, the kingdom of darkness can't let us be. They have to insist on challenging us, okay? And they do it through circumstance and calamity. But Paul is compelled by the Spirit. Anybody ever been compelled by the Spirit? Ever have one of them feelings that you just can't outrun? Ever have, ever have a word that as much as you try to keep it to yourself, you can't help but share it? You can't rest almost, amen? I, I've, I've tried to sit on stuff several days, and the Lord goes, you're not going to get any sleep, so you might as well do what I tell you to do. And be done, amen? Just get in there. Because here's the, here's the promise of God. That wherever the assignment takes me, the challenge has already been considered and God has moved in his providence to keep me in that situation. I can have the full confidence of God knowing that where I'm going is going to be jacked up and somehow he will protect and prosper me in that environment. And so after much pushback, the people just say, hey, you got to do what you got to do, Paul. You got to do what you got to do. And we have to be driven by that same spirit. And so Agabus comes, and when Paul is confronted by this prophet about the perils ahead, Paul's commitment to Christ outweighs his concerns for the consequences. That don't mean he's stupid. doesn't mean he's foolish. It just means he's all in. For Jesus, this is what he says. He says, look, 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 you're breaking my heart. I, I know you love me and I know you're trying to say what's best for me. But out of your own mouth, I've got to do what the Lord has called me to do. And I want to build this encouragement argument because our resolve must be just as resolute as the prophet and and convicting 
We, we can't be wavering. We can't be flinching. We have to come to an understanding that we are members of the whatever it takes for the benefit of those God loves. Might not be happy for me, but it'll be a blessing for someone if I endure. Might, might not always be the best circumstance. It's not a party going on all the time in kingdom. There are moments when the challenge will set our teeth on edge and cause us to consider, wow, is this really of the Lord? And the proof is in the testing. So Paul is aware of the challenge, but his desire to know Christ intimately requires the fullest relationship possible. There's some things God can't tell us because we're not ready for it. There's some things God could share with us, just blow our little minds. I, I've had God give me a taste of some stuff, and I'm going like, whoa, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. He said, well, you better get ready because it's, it's in your future. You will be doing it. And when I first went out to Cornerstone University, I was thinking to myself like, wow, there's not a lot of people out here look like me. This could be a challenge. I said, wow, not only do they not look like me, they don't all think like me. Wait a minute, this is a Christian university. Yeah, but I've, I, I've come to realize that not all Christians behave the same way. Somebody should have said amen right there. Because you didn't you didn't bumped into one of them crusty Christians. They, they, they haven't moved in so long that something have built up on them where, where they just fixed in place and they can't function anymore. Oh, boy, I, I hope I'm not getting in trouble with somebody in this room. But, but you done ran up on a, a, a Christian just so fixed in their way that they can't consider any other perspective than the one they got. To be a Christian, you got to think like they think and act like they act. Well, that's pretty boring. I don't want you to act like me, okay? Because I'm a fool for Jesus. And not everybody can make foolish look good. <laughs> not everybody can do what God tells them to do at first. They have to go through a process. So we got to understand just because somebody tell me, well, I'm a Christian, okay? Here, here's what I say when people do that to me. We'll see. We'll see how you, how you last. We'll, we'll see how you hang. We'll see how you exegete scripture. We'll see how you apply the word of God to your life. We'll see how you treat the, those that don't like you. We'll, we'll see how you uh, are moved or not moved for those that are marginalized. There's a proof in the ministry if I just hang around for a few minutes I'll see if you're the kind of Christian that you confess to be. And by the way, so will God. So Paul says, I'm aware of the challenge, but I desire to know Christ intimately. I want to know the full relationship that I can possibly have with him. Now, and get this. This is where we struggle. Not only the positives but also the negatives. Not just the blessings, but also the adversity 
This is the call of Christ. Christ doesn't come and run up to uh, the king and Herod and say, you know, I'm the son of God. You ought to give me a spot in the palace. You know, I'm, 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 the, I'm the, a person that's in all the scripture that you guys study. But I'm right here in the middle of you and you don't recognize who I am. And he embraces coming out of Nazareth. He, he identifies with the marginalized from the very beginning. Christ understands his father's will, and he has passed this on to all his disciples, and Paul in particular, and said, Paul, you thought you had a good idea until we had that Damascus Road meeting. And now he's asking all of us to consider what our commitment to Christ looks like. Are you only for Jesus when it's going good? Are you only for Jesus when it benefits you? Are you only for Jesus when it's your household that is enjoying the privilege? I think there's a little bit more to it if I really understand what the gospel is about. Paul invites us to consider our commitment to the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's not Paul's ministry. It's not Royce Evans' ministry. It's not Pastor Christie's ministry. It's Jesus' ministry. And if I'm a follower of him, I got to be involved in the ministry like he was. A willingness to go all the way to Calvary and nothing less. To whom much is given, much will be required. And if God have broke you off tough, honey, much will be required. We sing that song all to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender all. And that's the scripture that we use to segue into Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Paul comes to an understanding as he is getting deeper into his relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the conclusion that he draws. He says, whatever was to my profit before, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He's talking about his privilege as a Roman citizen, as a Pharisee, as a member of the Sanhedrin. I'm willing to give all that up. I was important to men, but now I want to be important to Christ. Wow. That blows my mind. I'm going like, I'm willing to give up everything, realizing that it was nothing. But what's essential and worth having, I can only get in Christ. That's what I want. That's what I want. Some people's commitment to the faith is, I got a car in my driveway. I'm doing pretty good. Okay, I, I live in a nice neighborhood. I must be doing all right. But Paul says there's a more mature, mature understanding of this, and it is to give up everything that the world says is important and take on everything that God says is important. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to what? The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish 
that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The essential truth of the gospel is to be found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, obeying the rules, but that comes from God and is by faith. I don't understand why God loves me the way he does, but boy, do I enjoy the fact that he does. I don't have to know what, 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 what privilege he's willing to provide for me. I just take it on the strength of his promise that he loves me enough to take care of me. And that when I find myself in these challenging situations, he's right there beside me. I took a trip long time ago, long time ago, and I was headed to what they call the big house. I'm saying that in grown-up language so y'all can understand. I'm a graduate of the other Ohio State University. And I, could, I was remembering and reflecting on the bus. I says, none of my friends that I was doing dirt with are on the bus with me. They only wanted to hang out with me when I could buy the rounds or when I could supply the goodies. You understand what I'm saying. But when it came crunch time, when somebody had to go do time, nobody's on the bus but me. And here's what the spirit of the Lord said to me on the bus to the big house. You are not alone. I'm willing to go with you where you're going, even though I haven't sinned at all. I love you to the place of entering into your suffering so that you might be a beneficiary of mine. What? What? Say that one more time, Lord. I, 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 I'm not complicit in the things that you have done that have led you to this place. I'm guilty. I'm, I'm innocent. You're guilty. But you're not alone. I'm going to go do time with you. I got to love a God like that. I got to love a God like that. And maybe your condition wasn't as bad as mine. I hope not. But even... In that, whatever it looks like for you, that consequence, that challenge, you're not alone. That I can willingly go into this place and do the work that he have given me to do, knowing that he is there with me. Wrap it up for me. I want to know Christ. This is Paul. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Can I put a little add in there not just in the power of his resurrection that ought to be sufficient all by himself but the text doesn't indicate the end of the thought it says not only in the power of his resurrection but also the fellowship of sharing in his suffering becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain in the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to know you completely, Jesus, in every aspect of your earthly and divine existence, I want to know you. 
that shouldn't be too hard for us to comprehend. Most of us have a significant other. Amen? And raise your hand if you got a significant other. Okay. So you realize it's not just about you, is it? Anything I do at 1703, Sister Evans got something to say about it. Okay. Sometimes it's good. <laughs> Other times she's being a responsible wife and say, fool. Yeah, I think that's what you call me, isn't it? But she's got an investment. She's got a stake in what goes on there. And so it's beneficial for me to know how things are going with her in order that things might be well at 1703. Okay, so this, this proposition is not new to us. And so it begs the question, what does our commitment to Christ actually look like? Uh, Christie's thought on that was, what does our willingness to suffer look like? So this is a good place to talk about not just the uh, widespread purpose of the gospel. She talked about wide and deep with you, didn't she? Okay, that the gospel has to have the greatest appeal. That's the wideness of it. Take it to everybody. You know, Paul's got a global mandate. But also some depth. That evangelistic activity ought to lead to discipleship. And so part of that is getting a good understanding of what the theology of suffering actually looks like. Okay, can I just... Unpack that for you just a little bit. I promise not to be long. But the first thing that we need to understand is uh, the sovereignty of God. He can do whatever he wants to. It's all his. And certainly he's got a right to correct the error. But sometimes we get it wrong, like God purposes suffering to be in our lives. I want to get that clear today. God is not the author of suffering. He is not, but he uses suffering to our benefit, okay? Suffering is caused by the fallenness and the brokenness of the world that we live in. That's just the facts of the matter. Paul says, by one man, sin entered into the world, and boy, it have not been right since. But with the birth of Jesus Christ, redemption and salvation become available. So God fixes that. But in the meantime, there's this suffering. And so while he is not the author of suffering, understand that suffering cannot occur without his permission. Just ask Job how it goes down. Man in my business, living large, all these children, all these servants, it, it's going on. For Job. And then all of a sudden, the enemy comes and wants to do something to violate Job's testimony, and he has to ask the permission of God. Here's the point in everything that you encounter, it doesn't go down without the Lord signing off on it. God uses suffering to accomplish his purpose. And as followers of Jesus Christ, suffering is a part of our job description. It's just right there. Now there's the suffering that occurs with everyone, but, but we've been asked to engage suffering at a higher level. We suffer for Christ's sake and for the benefit 
of others. I know that's asking a lot. But the inevitability of persecution simply by identifying as Christian and then what kind of Christian, remember I spoke about that before, all shapes and sizes. But for today, let's ask ourselves, are we willing to become suffering servants like Jesus was? Am I willing to go out of my way when somebody shares with me a situation and a challenge in their life? Okay. Had one of you share with me this morning a situation that was going on because you thought I might have something to say about it. I'm committed to that, that when you make me aware of your suffering, the assignment is to enter into that suffering with you until God provides the relief that you need. Everyone has experienced suffering in this room, and we all can agree it's not pleasant, but it does have purpose. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are encouraged to embrace suffering so we might glorify God through our suffering until we meet him face to face. Okay? We must be prepared and not taken off guard. This is what Peter says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. What? But rejoice. That's the last word on my mind when I encounter suffering. First thing I want to ask God is why? Why me? Why now? Why this? You know the list. You got the same list. Something goes down in your situation, and you, all of a sudden you got all this why, when really the proper response is who? Suffering. Okay, Lord. Suffering. So on whose behalf am I entering into this suffering? Jesus said, well, number one, me. You're becoming a partnership in the fellowship of suffering. And then I'll give you the name of the person that we're specifically going to enter into suffering with me. It may just be the burden of prayer. I'm going to pray with you through this season of suffering. Sometimes it, require, it requires my presence. I'm going to sit with you. Not even saying a word, but just simply being a presence, letting you know you're not by yourself. And then I'm going to always encourage you to the word of God. That the Lord already knows that the suffering is coming and he's already provided relief if you can lean in. Okay. Dear friends, don't be surprised. You are suffering like it's something strange. Every servant of Christ suffers. Top to bottom. Nobody gets left out. It's important so that you rejoice uh, as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When I read that scripture, I said, like, one glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. Here's the other part of it. Not until that time. In the meantime, it still is jacked up. All right? 
If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be a member of the Fellowship of Suffering. I don't go out of my way looking for it, but I don't duck it when it lands at my lap and in my address, okay? Nobody wants to suffer, but it's essential to our faith walk. So I talked earlier about the most violated uh, commandment. Do you know what the most underrated spiritual discipline is? It's the spiritual discipline of suffering. We rob ourselves of the benefit of the blessing of suffering because it's not our nature to embrace it. No, nobody. I, I remember I had the same propositional thought about uh, trouble. I said, an old preacher told me one time, you don't have to go looking for trouble. I said, why is that? He said, because trouble's already looking for you. You don't got to go looking for suffering. It's already headed in your direction. Live long enough and you will suffer. But here's the benefit. God uses suffering to draw us near. Ever had one of them calamities where the first thing you realize is the way, the way this suffering got into me was because I haven't been as close to God as I should have been. Reading scripture daily, that helps. Praying daily, that helps. Doing service every day, wow. Well, I don't have time for all that. Make time. You don't get the blessing without putting in the work. Amen? Okay. God uses suffering to draw us near. Our present suffering encourages us to look to God. This is what he says over in Isaiah. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. God uses suffering to purify us and to conform us to the image of his son. If Christ got to suffer, honey, everybody got to suffer. God uses suffering to grow his body. Wherever there is marginalization, lack, scarcity, tribulation, God uses that place to present alternatives to our condition. When I was living on the street, homeless, and at the height of my addiction, there was a still, small voice encouraging me that if I can get back to the church, he would bring me out of my dilemma. If I could start walking in the faith that I once had, that I was growed up in, as we used to say, if I could get back to that, surely there's a way out of my misery and my condition. Luke 21, 17 through 19, all men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish, thank God. But by standing firm, you will gain life. Amen. Nobody makes up their mind to go run a marathon, not anybody with any sense. You better been running for a while before you sign up for the marathon. 25 miles, 26 miles. Hey, it's a test. Okay. And just to have the idea is not enough to get the victory. You've got to put in the work. Amen? 
Yeah, hurry up and finish, preacher. Okay. Suffering helps us focus on eternity. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome. Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in what? His sufferings in order that we what? May also share in his glory. Okay. That, that whole conversation at the Bema seat, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I know you not. I know you not in the fellowship of my suffering. That's the disqualifier. Suffering is our testimony of Calvary. Colossians 1 and 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Christ doesn't die for himself. He dies for everyone else. And until we get that mentality, the world's going to continue to languish in sin and suffering until the people of God galvanize themselves and purpose that we will suffer not only for ourselves, but for others. Suffering helps shape our character. When we know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering, we too join in lament for a fallen and a broken world. We see the world as he does with compassion. Amen? Oh, boy, y'all didn't go to sleeping on me now. Look, 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 look. Here's the important part. This is the takeaway. You have to remember that your life haven't always been the way it is. Maybe for some of you it have, but it hadn't always been this way for me. There was another life. There was a jacked up life. There was a sideways Royce Evans who was suffering for foolishness sake. And it occurs to me that the breakthrough was when I understood that Christ intended for me to suffer for somebody else's sake. We suffer for his glory and for our good. There's a great reward in suffering for righteousness sake. Joining somewhere in someone in their burden to help lighten the load to be a listening ear, we suffer, and I'm going to use Phil's word, in solidarity. We don't just come together to sing the praises of Jesus. We come together to lament the condition of our world. We, we, we come together and we lament that this place is not packed out every Sunday and every worship. Because simply put, Jesus is the solution for the calamity of this world. And until we embrace suffering, we'll never go where we need to go. We'll never say what we need to say. And people will continue to be living in the squalor of sin because of lack of activity on the part of the church. We spent a lot of time this morning on the deep side. Some would say the depressing side. Boy, you just messed up my whole day. But 
But really, I'm hoping that you can grasp what God is trying to get us to understand, that our deliverance is manifest through suffering on someone's part. And primarily that suffering is Jesus Christ. He says, scarcely for a righteous man would one die. What must it have took for Jesus to die for the unrighteous man? To die for the crack addict, the, the dope fiend, the alcoholic, the, the promiscuous activity. What, what, what compels Christ? To enter into my suffering and make a way. Can I help you? It's love. God so loves the world that he gave not a son, the only one. Oh, y'all should be more excited about that. Look, 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 look. When, when, when I Think of the goodness of Jesus. Y'all know that song? And all that he have done for who? My soul wants to shout hallelujah. And I want to go wherever I go and share the victory. Honey, you down? I hear you, but you ain't out. You, you, you're short. Right on, but you ain't bereft of resource. You, I don't care what the situation is that you're suffering with this morning. God have already facilitated and put in place the solution, and his name is Jesus. My hope is that, that don't, if you don't know Christ in the pardon of your sins this morning, that you would seek him while he's near. That you will call upon his name and be saved. My prayer for you is that your suffering becomes a place where you know God to a greater degree. And that you're willing to actively participate in the fellowship of his suffering. That is his servant's prayer. Amen.